All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That's where we will be today. If you're new to Refuge, uh, we, are, we do expository preaching regularly. That is the biggest diet of what you'll get from us here is regular verse-by-verse preaching through the text. If you need a Bible, will you raise your hand? We'll put one in your hand right now. Maybe if you forgot one, there's one right back here. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand up. We'll bring you one. Yep, a couple over here. If you want to keep it, keep it. That will be our gift to you. Acts chapter 2, it's in the New Testament. If you're looking for it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and you found your place there. We'll be in chapter 2. We'll be reading the first 13 verses at some point here shortly. So we got to the end of chapter 1 last week, and it kind of brought us to this cliffhanger uh, because Jesus had told the apostles, he's like, you go and you pray. And at some point I'm going to send the spirit to where you're going to be. And so they go and they pray. And while they're there, they decide that, uh, that they need this new apostle to replace, uh, uh, to, to, to replace Judas Iscariot. And, and so they, they replaced the, they replaced him. Who did they replace him with? Who? Can't hear you. Yeah, there you go, Matthias. Everybody's like, oh, I don't remember that from last week. Uh, who do we know that it wasn't? Barsab- Barsabbas, remember? He didn't make the cut, but he was okay with that. But we find him here in, in chapter 2. They're still waiting, and they're still praying that there's, that there's more to come, and they're still just waiting and praying. It reminded me of like, so end of chapter 1, and they're still in the same place, and we move to chapter 2, and I'm like, this is still like a cliffhanger. And so what is like your favorite cliffhanger movie? Think about it. Think about, like, what is the movie that you go back to and, man, that was a good cliffhanger and I couldn't wait for the next movie to come out. What, what's your favorite? Because I, I know which is the best and I'm going to tell you which is the best one, but I want to hear what your second or third best is. Unless, what? Well, what? Avengers. Oh, huh? <laughs> Avengers. Okay, I'll give you that. It's pretty good. Not as good as mine. What else? Matrix? Man. What? Inception. My man has hit on it. Yes. Yes. The Empire Strikes Back. That is the ultimate cliffhanger movie. Because if you're not a Star Wars fan, one, you're to be most pitied. Uh, But if you are a Star Wars fan, you know that in The Empire Strikes Back, what happens at the end of that? What happens to to Luke's hand? Wow, Darth Vader like slices off the end of his his arm. And then what do we find out about Darth Vader? Luke, I am your father, right? Yes, and so that happens there. And then what about this one? Han Solo gets frozen, you know, in this cryogenic thing or whatever they called it back then. And so he's frozen and you're like, oh my goodness, the empire has struck back and they're going to, they're going to win. Evil is going to win. And like, and then you can't wait for the next one to come out. But I think that is the biggest cliffhanger movie that there is out there. And so that's kind of where we end in chapter one is all the apostles are like, they're like frozen waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. 
But we just don't get anything until we get further into chapter 2 or the beginning of chapter 2. And honestly, that's where we find ourselves today. So if you're in your Bible, we're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Let's read through these together and see what we find out. So Actually, let's go back to 26 and 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 26. They cast lots for them. The lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And then we get to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, so it seems like there was some time still left in there uh, as we get into chapter 2. And so that's what it says. When the time of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Y'all make a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Come on, louder. Say, do it louder. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it made like this sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and uh, Phrygia and, and Pamphylia and Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said, they are filled with new wine. That's where we'll stop today. Let me pray real quickly again as we get into this and then we'll jump in. God, we love you and we need you. We're so thankful. Holy Spirit, we're thankful for you that we're reading about whenever you made your presence fully known here on the earth. And it's my prayer that you will do that with us and in us and among us today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, so we see right on the heels of, again, them, this, them electing this new apostle, Matthias, uh, that they were all together in one place. They were in this room together, and, and they'd been told, you go there and wait, and, and, and at some point, I'm going to spend, I'm going to send, Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper to come. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit uh, to come. And in verse 1, we encounter a word that we must look into a bit deeper. What is that word? Pentecost. So let's read verse 1 again. When the day of Pentecost, circle that word right there, highlight it, whatever you do in your Bible. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And so let's just stop there and talk about uh, Pentecost for just a minute. Um, if you go back and read the Old Testament, you'll learn that Pentecost was one of the uh, early feasting days that was celebrated in the Old Testament. 
Pentecost is not something that just suddenly occurred in the New Testament. Not, Pentecost was not something that just came on the scene whenever the Holy Spirit actually was coming, which is what we're talking about in today's text. Uh, but they didn't call it Pentecost in the Old Testament. Uh, that was uh, Pentecost, uh, uh, Pentecost was actually uh, the Greek name. And so Jews called this the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. That's what they referred to it back in the Old Testament. It's mentioned like five different places in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 23, Exodus chapter 24, Leviticus chapter 16, Numbers chapter 28, and Deuteronomy chapter 16. You'll find this talked about in the text in the Old Testament. And so the Feast of Weeks, it celebrated the grain harvest. Uh, and so they, that's whenever they would, they would farm and they would, and they would harvest the grain out of their fields at that time. And, uh, and, and it, it really harkened back to one of our minor prophets that we preached through. Uh, and we see when this time was mentioned. Look, if you look back at Joel's prophecy, this is what he wrote in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. Uh, and the title in my, in my Bible, maybe in yours, says, The Lord will pour out his spirit. This is what it says. It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire and columns and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Verse 32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so that was from the minor prophet Joel that we just finished preaching through that minor prophet series. And so the minor prophet was literally speaking forward to this particular time in Acts chapter 2 that we're studying today. So Pentecost, uh, again, was celebrated as the early weeks of what they call the wheat harvest. And so we think it probably fell sometime between May and June. So the time whenever uh, school is going to be getting out, we're talking about that particular time on the calendar. And so there were seven festivals that the Jewish people celebrated during this time. Uh, there was Passover, uh, there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, there was the Feast of First Fruits, uh, the Feast of, uh, uh, the, the, there was the beginning of the barley harvest. And, and so that's from, from those kind of things that we know when they happen, you can kind of figure out when Pentecost actually happens. And so according to the Old Testament, you would go to the day of the celebration of First Fruits. And begin at that day, and you would count forward 50 days, and you would get to the day of Pentecost. Hence the name uh, is why they call it Pentecost. So first fruits was the beginning of the barley harvest, and Pentecost is a celebration of the beginning of the wheat harvest. And since it was 50 days after the first fruits, since 50 days equals seven weeks, and a week, it's, it was also called the week of weeks. So there were seven weeks of, of seven days that gave you 49 days. The next day ended up the 50th day. And that's why they call this particular day Pentecost. 
Uh, and so today, Pentecost is celebrated 50 days, typically after Easter. And so that's whenever uh, we celebrate today. Okay, and, and so that's where we are, and that's where we get Pentecost. You should know a little bit about that. Some of you may not have heard Pentecost uh, re, re, uh, kind of talked about and what the historical context was, but that gives you a, a little picture into it. The Pentecost was not simply the day whenever the Holy Spirit was, was, uh, came into the, uh, uh, whenever Jesus set the Holy Spirit down, but it actually had something to do with what was going on in their culture as well. And so let's agree to a few things as we get into uh, this particular text in Acts. Would you agree that God does whatever he wants whenever he wants? Yeah. So, so nobody controls God. God does exactly what God wants to do whenever God wants to do it. And as we preach through the book of Acts, what you're going to see is um, really God at work, the Spirit at work, and I hope that it expands your view of who God is. I hope that it expands your view of the Holy Spirit at work then and what he can and does do now. That's our hope for you as we get through this, this text, that, that the Holy Spirit is not our weird uncle that we, you know, we don't talk about all the time. And I know it freaks some of us out whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit and all that kind of good stuff. But the Holy Spirit is the active part of the Godhead today. And so I want you to see uh, where, where really his origins began whenever, uh, the, when he was sent to, to indwell all of us uh, believers. So there's been times in history when God really pours out his spirit in kind of an extraordinary way. Uh, we see this obviously right here in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Uh, and there's been other times in the history of the church that we've seen the Holy Spirit really get poured out. Big movements of the Holy Spirit. Revivals such as the Great Awakening. That was one of those times that, that the Holy Spirit was really poured out into the church. That was during the time of Jonathan Edwards. And, and you can read about that as a real historical event. Uh, we saw the effects of a real, uh, like a real tangible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, the scriptures tell us whenever we are saved, whenever we become Christians, when we repent of our sins and believe the gospel, uh, that we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. Uh, he does a, an amazing work in our hearts. He awakens us to the gospel. The truth is that, that we talk about that and preach that regularly, that, our, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Our hearts are dead to the things of God until the Holy Spirit quickens our hearts and actually gives us the faith to believe, uh, we just won't believe. If you're here and you're outside the household of faith, the scripture tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, we are outside the household of faith, alien to uh, the things of God. The scripture also says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, made us alive. It is God who quickens us and it is God who makes us alive. And he does that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we see the Holy Spirit move. We, we've seen the Holy Spirit move in, in Refuge Church. I mean, the fact that we're still here after 14 years is an absolute work of the Holy Spirit. We saw our students this summer get really, the, the Holy Spirit really fall on our students whenever they were on their trip. And, and many of our students were awakened to the good news of the gospel. And, and here's what, you know, you always worry about things like that, especially when it comes to young people, where they just caught up in something, where, where they just, you know, mimicking their friends at the time. But I love the fact that we're, we're, we live up close and personal with each other. And we see this happen with our students. We see the fact that they are truly changed students. Would you agree with that, Paul Dacus? Yeah. I mean, these kids are changed. 
And, and that's an awesome thing to see, especially in today's culture, that we got a chance to be um, a, 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 a witnesses to what uh, the Holy Spirit was actually doing. The truth is, it's a good thing for us to pray for more of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We should desire that regularly. We should, we should desire for the Spirit to just pour himself out and make himself evident even more, uh, as, even like we see at Pentecost or, or during some of these great historical revivals. Uh, uh, most of the time, God works and, and the Spirit works just in the everyday things of life. And, and we see God continue to work and do things. And, and sometimes we, we don't think about it, but even in the mundane things of life, the Spirit truly is at work. But once in a while, he really pours out his spirit in a special way. Once in a while, we see the spirit do miraculous things that we go, what's happening? How in the world is this even? I, I, I don't want to mess this up because I, I see the Holy Spirit of God actually at work and moving and doing things that I never thought he could ever, that we would ever see in our own lifetime. Once in a while, he chooses to do that. And some, suddenly, sometimes, the kingdom suddenly expands in bigger pieces than normal. And then it expands when the, the Holy Spirit does these great movements like that. And, and we see that, reg, uh, not regularly, but I'd love to see that more regularly. I'd love to see that. Yes, we rejoice over one lost soul. When the 99 are in the camp, Jesus says he goes after and finds the one. We rejoice over one soul that comes. But sometimes the Spirit pours himself out and does miraculous things um, in, our con in the context that we may be living in. We've looked at the Joel passage. I want you to see something from Luke's Gospels. Uh, Luke, uh, Luke, chapter, uh, uh, yeah, Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 16 says this. Uh, this was John the Baptist talking. John answered them all saying, I baptize, I baptize, look, <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> Let me slow down for just a second. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whom sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That was John the Baptist. He was talking about Jesus who was to come. He said, Jesus is going to come. He, I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. When he comes, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and boom, that's where we find ourselves in today's text, okay? And we find ourselves literally in Acts chapter 2 in today's text. Look at verses 2 and 3 as we find ourselves in our text. Uh, so they're in one room, they're all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now, this is really the only biblical reference to the things that happened at Pentecost that we see in the scriptures. And honestly, I think this event, which is fascinating, uh, kind of is reminiscent of the Last Supper when the disciples were all together uh, and, and, and they were there uh, celebrating with Jesus at the Last Supper. And what was happening really at the Last Supper was Jesus was spending time with his disciples right before he was going to go and be betrayed and crucified. But it really kind of moved toward the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was saying, hey guys, I'm going to go away, but it's better that I go away because I'm going to send the helper who's going to come. 
And so Jesus went and completed his mission. He completed redemption at the cross. He was resurrected. And we see that he spent 50 days with his disciples. And then he said, it's better that I go away and you go and wait for the comforter who is to come. And so this was toward the end of Jesus' ministry. And at Pentecost, the disciples witnessed the birth of the New Testament church and coming where the Holy Spirit indwelt all believers. Now, well, and Jesus said it was better that I go away. Sometimes that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I'm like, why is it better for you to go away, Jesus? Why do you think it was better for Jesus to go away and that he send the helper? There you go. That's right. Because the Holy Spirit can be everywhere. Jesus had limited himself into his body. And for the most, the vast majority of his ministry, the vast majority, not all of it, he healed people from afar and things like that. But for the vast majority of his ministry, he limited himself into his body. And he would do miracles with people that would come, uh, come and see him, the people he would touch, or people would touch the hem of his garment and be healed, or whatever the thing was that might have happened during the time. But Jesus said, it's better that I go away, that I ascend back to the Father, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who is going to come, and it's better for you guys in that way. Um, and, and, and again, you guys just made this sound uh, that we all kind of made with our mouth. <laughs> you know, that one we just did. Let's do that again. Let's make that sound again. <laughs> like that, that didn't even, I don't think that even touches what the sound must have been like. Can you imagine if we're sitting here in a church gathering and the sound must have been so loud because you're going to read it a little bit in, in, uh, in a little bit further in our text that people came from all over. This sound happened and the Holy Spirit fell on them and there was such the sound that people from around the town came in. So it would be like if something happened here at Refuge and the Holy Spirit, like as he was coming on the scene, let's just pretend it was happening here. It would be so uh, earth-shaking that something happened here, like people from the hotels, uh, people from Waffle House, um, people from the gas station, uh, probably people from the other Waffle House. Uh, <laughs> we love it. We love a Waffle House in Lakeland. Uh, right? I know. Come on. Uh, they would have heard that so much that they're like, what in the world is going on? And they come and show up and go, hey, what's happening here? We'll get to that in just a, in just a minute. But it, it seems today that sometimes sounds can be distracting. Like that was one that drew people's attention. But like it doesn't take much to distract our attention. Like think about being in church. And how easily we get distracted with sounds. I mean, somebody could get up and go to the bathroom. What do y'all all do? Especially you sit back in the cheap seats. You look at them, yeah. You look at them, you follow them out. You're like, I wonder if they're going to the bathroom. Are they going to get some water? Are they just going outside to get a breath of fresh air? What are they doing? I mean, you don't, isn't that what y'all do back there? Say, just nod your heads like this. I know, I know. I used to sit back there in other places. Or somebody can spill their coffee, which happens right over here where my kids sit a lot. Uh, somebody can spill their coffee. What happens whenever Cameron spills her coffee? <laughs> what happens? Everybody starts to look around. Everybody's like, do you need some napkins? Um, and start, people, everybody sitting around her starts to go, what happened to your coffee? Can we help? You know, and they just get distracted. And, and, and so that sound sometimes is distracting for us. 
Or if there happens to be a loud noise or a baby cries, what do you do? You quit paying attention to what's being said and you look around and you find out what's going on, what's happening there. So if you can, if we get this, if we kind of turn and look at sounds like that in our small space like this, can you imagine what it was like whenever this sound, this mighty rushing wind sound came and people from around that, that weren't in the building with them at the time came to find out what was happening. If we're intrigued with things, we're intrigued with what's going on. We hear a sound. Can you imagine what that might have been like with this scene in Acts? So when this happened, uh, the scripture tells us that there are three clear signs that Jesus spoke about uh, and, and that we see in the coming of the Holy Spirit and we see them all transpire here. Um, this, is, this was a picture I put up. This, this was kind of my picture of what what the people in there when the Holy Spirit came, tongues of fire sitting on their head. This is what I kind of envisioned that that might have looked at. That was strange enough, right? I mean, if you're sitting around and that happens here, what you doing? I'm like, whoo, what's happening here? This, this is what I think. This, these are some things that the scripture tells us that we get back to uh, uh, what we're really talking about here. First thing is this, verse 2. Um, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And, and so listen to how Jesus describes the coming of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. You can turn there or just listen. I'm going to read it, uh, but you can follow there with me if you want to. This is, what he, this is what it says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless Unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me just say that again, because every one of us need to hear that. And some of you more so than others. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, I'll say that to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm not talking about lifting some, or putting your good deeds, your bad deeds on a scale and hoping the good deeds outdo the bad deeds someday. I'm not talking about being kind to your mama. I'm not talking about any of those things. Unless you are born again, you cannot, you will not see the kingdom of God. Period. Period. He goes on and says this. Nicodemus says to him, this may be your question. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, in 2023, somebody might claim that that could actually happen. <laughs> Just saying. But Nicodemus was like, I mean, I'm an old dude. How am I going to be born again? I'm only born because my mama birthed me. Is that what you're talking about, being born again? <laughs> Jesus said in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So unless you're born physically and you're born again spiritually, you cannot see the kingdom of God. All of you here have been born how? Physically. You're here. 
So you've actually been birthed at some point, some of us longer than others ago. But my concern and my question is, have you been born again? Have you yourself, not the people sitting near you, but have you been born again? That's what Jesus says. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse six, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Don't think that I'm making something up. Don't think this is some statement that is out there. Don't marvel that I say you must be born again. I'm echoing his, his statements, Jesus' statements. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that was, we're talking about in Acts. Whoever is born of the Spirit will be born again. So if, the, if, if, if what Jesus talked about here in John chapter 3 is a work of the new, uh, new birth, as Jesus called it, the wind blows where it will, and, and, and the wind blows where it will, and, and that means the gospel will go where it will, and, and, and God will work where God will work. Can you imagine thinking about not just the wind, but this mighty rushing wind, again, as the Spirit as the Holy Spirit was descending on this place. You know, many people have described the sound of a tornado like a freight train or something like that. I've I've never, thankfully, never been in a tornado. I hope I don't ever experience that. I'm just going to trust what people say. Uh, But they've said it's like a sound of a freight train that is coming through. I think that this sound might have been something like that or something so loud and so amazing that they, they didn't even know what to do at the time. They'd probably never heard anything like that before. Others say it sounds like a jet engine, but either way, it is loud, loud. And so as these disciples and these followers were in this upper room, they heard this sound. They heard the sound of this rushing wind, and the wind and the sound was the Spirit moving, the Spirit falling on them at that time. God was breathing, I think, into that, just thinking about God breathing into that room, the Spirit coming into that room. And again, people from all over the city heard this. And so the first sign is the sound of a rushing wind. Secondly, is that there are tongues of fire that rested over the heads of the people that were there in that particular room. Now, throughout times in redemptive history, God has chosen to reveal himself to the people or wherever they were, whatever they might have been involved in at the time, as fire or or revealed himself in fire or some type of burning glory uh, that he might be in. And so he's revealed himself like that in the past. Remember the examples from Moses? Uh, The first one, he revealed himself as a burning what? Bush, yeah. He revealed himself as a burning bush and he said, hey, uh, hey, take off your sandals. Why? Because it's holy ground. It's holy because the Lord was there. And so he revealed himself in a burning bush. Secondly, he uh, revealed himself as a uh, pillar of cloud uh, by day and what? At night. Yeah, fire at night. This is God's presence saying, if you, fo- you follow me by this cloud in the day, you follow me by this pillar of fire by night. And then thirdly, um, uh, 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 think about whenever Moses went up onto uh, the top of the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. What, was ha- what were the people down below seeing happening on that mountain? You remember? 
it was like a it was like a storm around that mountain where there was fire and there was lightning and there was just the presence of God resting on the mountain whenever Moses uh, went, went up, gets, get up to get the Ten Commandments. And so the Holy Spirit is seen in this way. We don't see him physically. He is spirit, but he reveals himself sometimes in fire and power. He's seen in fire for us to recognize his glory. He is heard like a mighty rushing wind. Now think about this. Uh, it seems that what's taking place with this group is that one, they're just full of anticipation. But they are really getting the sense of a presence, uh, uh, of God's presence actually being with them. And suddenly, as we think about the tongues of fire that were resting on them, it, remember, Jesus said, it's better that I go away and, and I'm going to send the Spirit. Jesus, again, had limited himself to being in his body. And then he goes away and he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on each individual believer's head, follower's head. Think about that. That's very symbolic to the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. Now, again, we don't get a, we don't get a flame lit over our head, although sometimes as a pastor, I would like to see that. You know, I've, I've always said it'd be really nice if, if we could just know who were followers of Jesus and who wasn't. You know, if it was just a, some type of flashing sign or your eyes lit up or turned silver or something. Uh, uh, or, but, the, you know, just every now and then we just see a burst of smoke come out of your head or something. Just so we know, if we could see this flame rest over your head, it would be really cool from, a, from my perspective to go, okay, they're in the kingdom and, oh, they're not. So let's, 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 let's talk to this bro, you know. But we don't get that kind of thing. We don't get that kind of thing um, happening for us. But what we do get is the indwelling presence within us. The truth is, I should know if the Holy Spirit indwells you. You should know if the Holy Spirit indwells me. We, my spirit should speak to your spirit. We, we should know as we sit and we talk and we converse, man, I, I was encouraged by sitting with that brother. I was encouraged by spending time with that sister because this, my spirit really resonates with their spirit. My, my spirit really says, hey, you're, you're a, man, it's clear that you, you follow Jesus, that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, do we know that about each other? Do we spend enough time with each other? Does my spirit actually resonate with your spirit? It would be lovely to have that flame to tell us that. But the truth is, the spirit in me should come across to the spirit in you if we are both followers of Jesus. So not only tongues of fire, not only this loud sound, and not only this tongues of fire that rested on them, but the Holy Spirit was present. Uh, the third thing is that we get the tongues of the nations. Look with me in chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear 
each of us in his own native language. Then it goes through that whole list of people and where all they were from. Um, and then you get down, uh, that ends us through verse 11. And all these people were saying, we hear them in our own native tongue. Look what it says in um, uh, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I, I, I don't think this is any type of angelic speech. I don't think this is some kind of flowery language uh, or utterance as, as, as some might tell us. But this is the beginning of, the, of God himself beginning to speak the gospel to the nations. So it wasn't just limited to a, a one group of people, but the, the message of the gospel was beginning to the, go to the nations. And the miracle is that these dialects that they were speaking were languages not previously known to the apostles. They didn't speak these languages before. And when this flame rested on them, when the Holy Spirit rested on them, something happened to them. They were overpowered by the Holy Spirit. And they began to do what the Holy Spirit does. And that's namely, point people to Jesus. That's what they began to do. They began to share the story of Jesus with people who they'd never met before, in languages that they'd never spoken before, and people were hearing the good news of the gospel. Remember, it was the Holy Spirit who hovered over the, the face of the earth before the earth was formed. It was the Holy Spirit who hovered over Mary to create life within her womb. It was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. It's the Holy Spirit who causes a non-believer to be awakened to the gospel and to be born again. And from our text today, it's the Holy Spirit sending out the message of eternal life through the apostles. Now, as we get into this text, clearly it's talking about tongues. And, and that, that can sometimes be a confusing thing. That can sometimes be a thing that you go, man, I'm not sure exactly what to think about that. Um, how do we use tongues? How are they demonstrated? And I would say sometimes tongues, rather than used, unfortunately has been abused in the church. It's gone way off the rails in the American church today. We read about some proper use of tongues in our text today. Many will tell you that the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. That, that is the, some would say that that is the evidence. You're not filled with the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. See what happened to the apostles? They waited on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in a tongue. The Holy Spirit comes after that you get the Holy Spirit sometimes far after the, uh, your a conversion experience. And when that happens, you will speak in a tongue and that's the evidence that the Holy Spirit has come and now indwelled you. And yes, the text today does speak about the fact that the Holy Spirit indwelling these believers after they had become followers of Jesus. However, it is imperative that we understand the art and the science of biblical interpretation. It is crucial or you find yourself in a big ditch 
and you find yourself in some bad doctrinal places. And my fear is that some friends who are sincere in what it is that they believe have found themselves in a particular ditch. God did some miraculous things, some earth-shaking things in Acts that are not necessarily the norm today. Why? One, we have a Bible. We have a Bible that we can read, and we get to read some of the things that Jesus, who Jesus claimed to be and the things that he did. We have preachers that stand in multiple pulpits across the country and across the world that, declaim, that, that, that declare the good news of the gospel. And we have the gospel that has been established and spread and, uh, and, and, and believers filled with the gospel. It doesn't have to be a preacher that other people who are filled with the gospel can go and declare the good news that Jesus rescues sinners. And yes, sometimes miraculous events occur whenever the gospel is declared. One, we believe it's a miraculous event when somebody's born again. But I'm talking about additional things like we read about here in Acts chapter 2 right now. But most of the time, most, not all, most of the time that happens in very dark places where there may be lots of demonic oppression or in places that people might never have heard the good news of the gospel, then the Holy Spirit sometimes does miraculous things to cause people to believe just like we see happening in the book of Acts. Secondly, today, uh, Tongues in our text today, in particular in our text today in chapter 2 of Acts, is not some different language that people were speaking where you, nobody could understand them. Tongues in our text today is not some gibberish that gets spouted out from a pulpit somewhere and expect to do some show for people. Tongues in our passage was normal men through the power of the Holy Spirit resting on them that they were able to speak in the tongue the language of people who did not know anything about Jesus' resurrection. They were able to speak in another language to declare the gospel. That's why tongues was happening here in Acts chapter 2. It's very clear from the text that you had all kinds of different people groups assembled in Jerusalem. They all spoke different languages. And in God's great plan, think about this, in God's great plan at this moment, he chose this moment to reverse what had happened at the Tower of Babel. Remember what happened at the Tower of Babel? What happened? God, everybody spoke the same language. And God said, these people think they're too smart. And they are too smart. I'm going to confuse their language so that they can't necessarily begin to work together. And in our text today, we get just a little bit of a glimpse that God chooses to actually reverse that thing where they are all understand, all people in all languages. The text tells us that it was literally people that spoke languages from all throughout all the earth. And God chose to them to, to understand one message, one message of the gospel. He was united, where he had divided them in the Old Testament for a specific reason, he was now uniting them around the message of the gospel. What a beautiful picture that the gospel actually brings us together, and God chose to do this. Look, uh, let me, uh, ugh, I'm out of time. Oh, man. All right, okay, give me like 13 people. Come out of this section right over here. 13 people. Come up, get up, get up, get up, get up. Here, I got a piece of paper for you. Stand up here. Come on. That's one. I need 12 more. Come on. Take this. Walk down in front. Come on. Come on. 
Yep, keep going. Keep going. Awesome. Come on, I need some more. Appreciate y'all volunteering. Thanks, sir. Thanks for coming from the cheap seats. Come on, scoot on down. Uh, a few more. Keep them coming. Give me one I can pronounce. Um, how about that one? <laughs> Here, I'll give you that one. That's easier. Oh, perfect. One more. Give me one more. Yep. Now, all these are the different people groups that were represented here in our particular text today. And all these people spoke different languages. The text tells us that these are the languages literally from throughout the corners of the earth. For you flat earthers. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. I digress. Uh, I've been caught up in that page on Facebook, but that's a whole other thing. That they had, been caught, they had been caught up and they were hearing what was going on and they went to see what was going on and the apostles were able to speak in the tongues of all these different people. I don't know if one person spoke in all the different languages or if suddenly I was able to talk uh, like the Pamphylians or if I was able to talk like the people from Egypt or maybe each one person had somebody that they were talking to and they were able to hear the gospel proclaimed in their language. But all these people suddenly heard in their own language the fact that Jesus rescued sinners where they had been separated. Think about this. Tech, these, these were languages from people from all over the world. And in this Babel reversal, suddenly all these people began to hear the gospel in their own language. The mighty, they begin to declare the facts of Jesus' mighty works. The fact that Jesus rescues sinners was actually being proclaimed here in this very place. That's miraculous. And that's miraculous that the fact that this was God's plan, that he would have the people soon after the resurrection come and declare to all these people and they would begin to hear and we're gonna see what happened after this. All right, y'all go sit down. Take your paper with you. You might speak like that before the day's over. Who knows? What was the message to all these people? The Bible says they were declaring the mighty works of God. They were declaring the gospel that Jesus lived a sinless life that we cannot live. He died a death on the cross that, we, he did, that God uh, 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 laid on him the sins of all mankind from all their sins and from all their people groups. God laid on him all the sins of his people. That Jesus paid that sin debt, that he rose from the dead, that he had ascended, and now it was 50 days later. It was only 50 days, only 50 days after this had happened. That's incredible that that's how the message of the gospel suddenly began to spread around the world. Now, as a caveat to this thing happening, yes. Paul does give instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 about tongues in a church gathered. I want you, to, and, and, and if that's some place that you've been resting on and practicing tongues from, I want you to read it very carefully because here's what's happened. Tongues spoken in a church service as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is not for show. Tongues spoken about is not for the masses unless, what? There's an interpreter. 
So if, I'm, if I ever stand up here and speak something that in front of you and just to impress you that I can speak in a tongue, find another pastor. Find another church. Because, because why? What, how does it edify you as a body? Somebody tell me. It doesn't. The only time that we would ever hear from somebody speaking a tongue in, in this church gathering, in this church body, you're, all your elders agree on this, is that if somebody says, I have a word in a tongue, what would we call for? An interpreter. And if there was no interpreter, what would we say? You may be seated. It is not to be heard. If God provides a tongue for you and it needs to be heard at refuge, you know what else he'll provide? An interpreter. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks about the fact that tongues should only be used typically in your own private language with the Lord or maybe where three or four people are gathered together. Only in those circumstances. Finally, about tongues and today's misusage. Most of what is demonstrated in the American church today is a hodgepodge mix of Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14, and that, my friends, is very dangerous. Whenever you start mixing texts and mixing intent around tongues, I'm not denying that tongues exist, okay? I'm, I've never spoken in a tongue. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I've never laid my hands on somebody. And, wait, we did talk about wounds getting open, so I'm going to take that back. Um, but I've never spoken in a tongue. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But it, it, combining Acts chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is a very dangerous combination. I'm done saying with that. If you have questions about that, our elders will be happy to talk about it with you at any time, okay? All right, last part of this text. And it is for each of you who may have questions about what the Holy Spirit is doing here. Look in um, uh, verses 12 and 13. Here's what it says. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said they were filled with new, wine, with new wine. All that heard the apostles and what they were saying, they were amazed. You know what they were amazed about? One, not only that they were speaking in a tongue that they could understand, but secondly, they were amazed at the message of the gospel. Think about this. 50 days out, 50 days out from the ascension. They never heard this before. They're like, what? What, you mean Jesus came, the God, God in flesh came and he, he died on a cross and covered my sin dead and God raised him from the dead and, and he's ascended back to the Father? What are you talking about? This, this is crazy, tell me more. Because what did the text say? The text says, they were perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? They didn't understand it. They didn't fully comprehend what was going on. What does this mean? We need to know more. I want to know more. Maybe some of you want to know more. And it'd be our joy to spend time with you and talk about what it means to follow Jesus. It'd be our joy to spend our time saying, this is what it means to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, uh, uh, the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. How would they understand? 
Next cliffhanger. We'll tell you next week. Peter stands up. He, he, he declares some things to them next week. We'll, we'll get to that. But here's, here's what we know. Many were amazed, okay? They were blown away by what you, I, I hope you get blown away by the gospel. I hope you like, this is incredible that God would love me enough to give his only son. He would lay his life down, shed his blood to cover my sin debt. But there's always, say always, always skeptics. Always skeptics. Even after this miraculous event, some doubted. Accused them of being drunk. That seemed to be a common refrain for the apostles. Anytime they were, they were just, you know, uh, relishing in the spirit and what, what God was doing, they got accused of being drunk. And this is really the storyline of the Christian life. Not the drunk part. Uh, <laughs> but being misunderstood. Sometimes we just get misunderstood. Many, here, here's the misunderstanding part. Many people get amazed by the fact that the gospel gets proclaimed and that it's actually true and people repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Again, some of you need to do that today. But just like when Jesus was literally being taken up into heaven and people were marveling that the fact that he was going back to the Father was taking him back to his place. Remember what happened? Some people were like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's what the text tells us. Some people doubted then. Some people doubted what was going on here. Oh, those dudes are just drunk. They don't know what they're doing. People were literally saw this thing happening and doubted. They, this, this sound had come like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Flames appeared above these dudes' heads. Different dialects were, were, were being discussed and people were understanding each other that didn't know how to speak the same kind of language. And you had skeptics they were like, nah, I don't, I don't know if this is actually true. Listen to this guy, and with this I'm going to be closed. Whether you believe it or not, okay? And I'm specifically talking to you who don't believe it right now. Maybe you're watching online, or, or maybe you're sitting in here right now. Look at me. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. Whether you believe it or not, whether you choose to believe what this guy is telling you or not, it's true. Countless millions have been changed by the message of the gospel. Maybe it's some in your own family. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your children. Maybe you have rough relationships there and you don't believe that at all. But I'm telling you, countless millions of people around the world have been changed by this message of the gospel. Here's my question to you who are skeptical about this. Will you stop doubting today? Will you stop doubting today? Will you finally surrender to this truth that if you've been here any amount of time, you've heard declared week after week after week after week after year after year that Jesus rescues sinners, that your only hope is found in the gospel. Your only hope is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Will you finally at least look into that? 
Will you finally respond to Jesus today? That Jesus is calling you, the Holy Spirit is calling you. Jesus came and lived and died and is resurrected and is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Will you finally respond to Jesus today? Will you finally turn away from your sinful lifestyle? Repent of your sins, which means to go, I recognize that I'm sinning against a righteous and holy God. And I desperately want, I need Jesus' righteousness on my behalf. I can't do it. You can't. I can't. You can't. None of us can do it on our own. We desperately need the righteousness of Jesus on our behalf. Will you allow yourself to be amazed by the resurrection of Jesus who gave his life as a ransom so that you might be rescued from your sin? Will you come to Jesus today? Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. Gain eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit today. Let me pray for you.